Welcome to the show. Yeah, I got another killer guest today, Rich Redmond, uh, musician, actor, author, speaker, podcaster. I mean, this guy, he can do it all. Uh, his music resume alone would probably take me an hour to read off. Uh, besides his main job as the drummer for Jason Aldean, he's worked with uh, Garth Brooks, Chris Cornell, Ludacris, Kelly Clarkson, Bob Seger, Joe Perry from Aerosmith. I mean, basically anybody who's anybody in the music business, uh, he's worked with them. And then he decided, of course, that was not enough. Uh, and then he's got to start acting and doing film and TV. He wrote a book. He's doing all this other stuff, his podcast. Uh, and you'll quickly learn how he does all this by listening to him talk about his work ethic, his drive, his mindset. Uh, he gets it. You know, he's a smart guy, great personality, great people person, great guests, lots of great knowledge in this episode. So check it out. I think you'll enjoy this. All right. Well, welcome to the show. Welcome to the Chuck Shoot Podcast. Rich Redmond, drummer for Jason Aldean and a million others, plus an actor, motivational speaker, author. We're going to get to all this. It's amazing. Oh, man. So do we do this live or no? Uh, no, no, no. I mean, I'll record. I'm recording it and uh, I don't really edit much. So, uh, yeah, I don't take out the ums and ahs. Unfortunately, I don't have the time to do all that editing, but, uh, yeah. Oh God, who does? I, we want it raw, right? Yeah. Well, I, I interviewed uh, Krista makes from, uh, less than Jake and he, he has a podcast and he was saying he interviewed somebody. He's like, yeah, my producer took out over 300 ums and ahs and all that stuff. I was like, Oh, that'd be nice to have that feature, but I don't have a producer. So I'm a one man show here. There we go, man. Well, thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on. I appreciate it. So, yeah, your background's interesting. You're actually from Connecticut. Is that right? Yeah, I'm originally from Connecticut. I'm a New England kid. Um, yeah, man, Milford, Connecticut. I mean, it's just such this picturesque kind of New England town, you know, with the downtown square and the duck pond and the, the pond freezes and everybody ice skates. And it, it's just was very quaint. Um, but then my dad got a job in El Paso, Texas when I was right. 11. So we moved all these thousands of miles away to Texas. And that worked out great because they dig music in Texas, man. There's a strong support for the arts there. For really sure. Is. So yeah, you start and you started playing the drums at uh, age eight. Is that correct? That's so young. It could have been, you know, I remember seeing method books with my teachers scribbling assignments from 1976. So I could have been six, six, seven, eight years old, you know, and that was when dinosaurs roamed the earth. Man. <laughs> that was about uh, 44 years ago. So yeah. But so it was, you were like, grew up in the MTV era. You had a crush on Martha Quinn and you, yeah, lo- who did it? Yeah. Right. And you, lo- so you love the police. Was it synchronicity? Was that the kind of the thing that changed your life? Yeah. I mean, I mean, I was digging on music and was hitting everything in sight and I had my little blue sparkle snare drum. But when that synchronicity record dropped, I mean, that was the catalyst. And then, you know, the smoking angel on the cover of 1984, uh, Van Halen, I was like, this is what I'm going to do, man. And I, I never looked back and, you know. Yeah. So tell me, so and that's so sad about Eddie Van Halen. Obviously he just passed away recently. Do you have Horrible. any memories? Did you ever get to meet Eddie Van Halen or the band or? No, I never got to meet those guys. I saw them play out on uh, Hollywood uh, Boulevard when Jimmy Kimmel had them out there a couple oh. of years back and Dave got a bloody nose and all that kind of stuff. Oh, yeah, I was like yeah, 20 yeah. feet from the stage. Yeah. Oh, really? Just because your music business connections you were? Well, it was just like an open call to the people oh. of Los Angeles, you know, to the, to swarm the streets of uh, Hollywood Boulevard. And they okay. filmed it out there because I've played Kimmel a million times. The, the El Capitan Theater there is great. There's like a great room inside. And then occasionally he'll have bands um, out back by Hollywood High School, you know, oh, and okay. then this, yeah. but this was a big event. This was like out front and the streets were all blocked off and everything. Yeah. Um, but also we did in, in Nashville, we have this beautiful music community and this amazing drumming community we have this thing called um well there's this thing where the drum we do a tribute to drummers twice a year and so we've done a tribute to like oh my god pat torby from mr big and percaro and bonham and everyone right Uh and we did a big tribute um to alex van halen and his tech showed up with the exact one of alex's kits so all of the drummers in Nashville, like the 25 top drummers got to play oh. on Alex's kit. It was pretty amazing. That's so. And you got to play at that one then. That was awesome. Yeah. I yeah. did. I'll wait. Oh, nice. Very You know, all that stuff with the roto toms. So police Van Halen and you were you into like the hair metal and stuff. Like I was a big hair metal fan. 
Yeah, I mean, I was going through it. I mean, I was a product of MTV at the time. I didn't do it. You know, I didn't stuff the potato in my pants and wear the <laughs> spandex and grow my hair out or anything. Um, you know, I was kind of late to the party. Okay. I enjoyed it. Um, but what I was doing at the time, I was like, an, I'm like an overeducated rock drummer. So like I yeah. was transcribing Motley Crue records and Van Halen records and like, re, you know, reading the stuff, which, which kind of helped me later on because, huh. you know, doing the session work I do, a lot of times you're meeting a, you know, the client or the artist for the first time at 9am and by 2pm they've got five songs and that's the speed that we're operating at in okay. Nashville, you know. So, cause you have to write it down uh, when you play, you don't just play by ear or? No, I, I, most most of your good session players are going to have some sort of a cheat chart system oh, okay. where you can kind of outline the guts of a song, intro, um, first verse, pre-chorus, chorus, turnaround, second verse. So you can kind of see the guts of the song, mostly the anatomy of the song, um, you know, because when there's money on the line, as we know, in the music business, you got to get that track. man. Yeah, for sure. So you went to uh, Texas Tech for that was your first. You went to two colleges, but that was your first school. Or were you a football fan? Like, were you a Mike Leach fan? And do you follow? I would love to, I'd love to say that I was a, I, I would love to say that I'm a massive sports fan. And that was that's like my passion because it's such an amazing icebreaker at parties. And even yeah, if there's yeah. like language barriers, you'd be like, you see the game last night. Right. But I was just, you know, I was just so involved with my music. You know, that's that's just so interesting. There's a lot of p music people I talk to that they are so into the music that they just they don't care about sports at all. I'm like, that's really I mean, impressive. I was at these football games, you know, for eight years in the marching band. In the marching band, okay. like, you know, daydreaming about how, what I was going to do. Like I was going to move to a big city and make it in music. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So then tell me about North Texas university. I didn't realize that it was such a big music school. You I heard you saying something about, um, they're the only college that has a professional jazz band or what, what is it? Did I get that right? Oh yeah. It was the one o'clock lab band. It is a professional touring ensemble and it's been that way for like a God, a good 30, 35 years, if not longer. Um, but it was one of the first schools to offer a degree in jazz, which is actually kind of like getting a degree huh. in philosophy. It's like really, it's not worth much unless you okay. put it to use. Right. Yeah. And you go out there and you make your mark in the world. Um, but that experience I got at that school of like playing, you know, music from the 1950s you know bebop jazz and then um we did a record um called live in portugal in 1994 and we basically showcased all the jazz music from 1917 to 1994 so i was responsible for learning that whole evolution of music so it was really great so like you know uh, uh you know bissonette in in la is this big session drummer and he went there um god greg bissonette i feel like i know that greg bissonette played yeah. with um david lee roth Okay, yeah, that must be how Ringo. I know that name, yeah. Yeah. There's so many of those guys. So Yeah, yes. Jason Sutter, you know, played with Mar Manson, uh, buddy of mine. He went to North Texas State. Jim Riley, this good buddy of mine that plays, been playing for 20 years with this country pop band called the Rascal Flats. He oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 definitely. So then you had a master's in music, and it sounded like you were kind of bouncing all over the place. You did all these, uh, you did played in all these different kinds of bands, but you were doing all these, is this when you were doing all the side jobs, like waiting tables and parking cars and all this? Yeah, when I well, when I was in Dallas, I was doing pretty good. I, while I was getting my master's, I was playing in like you know fusion bands and smooth jazz bands and you know R and B horn bands, and I had original rock bands, and then I would play percussion in some people's bands, and I was in this Killer Top Forty band, and I was playing on like you know Texas Lottery and AT and T jingles and like teaching, just doing everything you can, you know, to kind of like get more experience. I think I turned 26 years old and I just started asking around like, Hey, who needs a drummer? And I, you know, I had my sights set on Los Angeles and then I mm -hmm. ended up just getting opportunities in Nashville and I've been there 24 years. And so when I moved to Nashville, moved there on a Tuesday, got my first gig playing drums on a Saturday, but still had to park cars, wait tables, um, substitute teach. Was yeah. Grind, man. So was it because you auditioned for Trisha Yearwood and she said, Oh, you don't live in Nashville. So that was kind of the, the clue to go, Oh, maybe I need to move yeah. to Nashville. Right. Yeah. Trisha Yearwood, Dina Carter and Barbara Mandrell. So like a, you know, a, 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 an up and coming star, a brand new on the scene star, and then an iconic figure in that world, Barbara Mandrell. I got to go do those auditions and meet some incredible musicians. And I was just like, Hey, as much as I love the palm trees and sunshine and the music that's coming from Los Angeles, there's all these people in Nashville that are, that are digging my drumming. So I gave my band two weeks notice in Dallas and you know, I just read the signs from the universe. Yeah. So is it true you played in 27 different bands while you were in Nashville? Uh, yeah. In 1999, I played in 27 At the same time. Bands. The same time. And there wasn't a single. <laughs> 
Wow. Um, there wasn't That's a That's got to be a record or something, right? Or is that well, common? I think there's just, you know, your belief in a higher power and just be like, look at, hey, if I can put this, put 25 bucks at a time or 50 bucks at a time together and pay my rent. And I did, yeah. but really more than anything beyond paying your rent, when you're in that period of your career where you're trying to bring your dreams to fruition, the, 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 it's actually the greatest time. I remember it's one of the greatest times in my, my evolution because I was meeting all these uh, people that had fire in their eyes and they had dreams. And as a drummer, uh, you're, you're working to, to help people, you know, bring these dreams to life, man. Mm -hmm. It's a big responsibility. Right. So tell me about how you met Jason Aldean, because you were cultivated these relationships with a lot of people and a lot of them that you said, a lot of the people you said, I think it was like 90% of the people that, that were kind of in your same class that had moved to Nashville on the same time disappeared, like went back, got a day job, whatever, kind of gave up on the dream. But Jason Aldean was one that you guys stuck together. Yeah. I met a young Jason Aldean in 1999. He was writing songs at Warner Chapel Music. He had just come from, you know, in high school working at Pepsi and the business was getting rough and he was just about to give up and move back to Georgia and work for Pepsi. And we did a showcase. It was probably our 40th showcase that we did for all the cigar chomping suits, as Frank Zappa would say in Nashville. And um, we, uh, he got signed to a record deal and we recorded that first record in 2004. It took eight months for the first single to get up to the charts. And we just went out there and brought the music to the people and built it and built it and built it. And we have now been playing together. um, Same drummer, same front man, same band. 21 years. Yeah. So wait a minute, 40 showcases. Are these all for 40 different labels or some of these like have come and looked at you guys like five, six, seven times. Yeah. And well, I, you know, it's, I, it might be an overestimation, but you know, when I bring it up with my bandmates and Jason's producer, we go like, it, it could have been 40 because it was a thing where it's like, let's do it with, um, without a steel guitar. Let's do it without the fiddle. Let's do it with a flannel shirt instead of a Western shirt. Let's do it with a baseball cat in front of the, we were trying to figure out what the thing was, you know, because all these songs that we were doing at these showcases, a lot of the suits would be like, I don't hear it. I don't get it. And they were all number one songs. As soon as his career, Mm. the the machinery got behind him. So that's a lesson to people out there that are wanting to do this in the business. It really takes everything coming together in perfect harmony. So you've got to have a great product, great songs, great presentation, like-minded guys in the band. You got to have great management. You got to have a great booking agency. Radio's got to embrace you. And then the video channels got to embrace you. And then you got to get out there and tour relentlessly. If any of those things goes, go away, and are not part of the puzzle, it could all fall apart. Yeah. Well, and also you guys didn't give up. I mean, there was like, even from 99 to 2004, that's five years of sticking with, with each other. Did you, did you have a loyal uh, following in Nashville? At least did you have, did you get a lot of people, fans there before you got signed? I don't think there's anything, uh, such a thing as loyal in, in the music cities like Nashville <laughs> or Los Angeles. People are oh, at the really? front row. Well, they're at the, people are at the front row. It's an industry town, right? So you get all the suits and all the hit makers and all the, corporate types they're at the back of the room like you know taking notes or they got their arms folded mm. and then you got the occasional girl that had one too many cocktails too early at happy hour and she'll be dancing around in the front and you send your energy out to her right and hope everybody else picks up on it but but i mean let me tell you that all of us including jason like he was writing songs as his day job he had a publishing deal and then all of us were freelancing and teaching and playing with a million other artists waiting for jason's thing to take off and um even during that period i played with a gal named pam tillis who had a good you know 20 top 10 singles. And that was really great. It was the first time I had a drum tech and somebody that was hmm. setting up my drums for me and where everybody knew all the lyrics to the songs. And then I got, and then I was in a band called Rush Low and there's this guy named Tim Rush Low. That was a front man of a band called Little Texas. They sold about 10 million records and their time kind of came and went and he wanted to start his own band. And so, you know, we put out two singles and, you know, I got to experience those early morning radio hustles in the morning and then the meet and greets. And then, you know, you're on the cover of magazines and you're, but at the same time, you're like, why am I broke? You're broke (laughs) even when you're on the cover of magazines and stuff. Yeah, that happens, man. And I mean, it's happening right now to some band that's on the cover of the magazine and they're playing free radio shows and you have to do free radio shows because radio has the, it holds the ticket to so much success and so many, even now, yeah, man. And, uh, huh. and the radio station will be like, Hey, we'll play your song, but can you do like five free shows for us? And 
<laughs> and you do these things and you do it with a smile on your face and you know it's part of the deal. Yeah. You know, there's a lot easier ways to make a living than be in the music business. So it's almost like being an actor. It's like when I talk to actors that have been doing it for 30 years, they're like, you have to say to yourself, I have no other vision for my life because if you can see yourself doing anything else, don't do this. <laughs> really? Yeah, I think that's it's kind any, of depressing, it's like a, though. I, I, well, it's that, that's the arts, man. I think yeah. that a lot of the people you have on your show that are like, you know, celebrity sidemen and all these or members of these bands that have been at it for 30, 35 years. That's the only thing they know to do or want to do. Mm -hmm. And so that you just keep moving forward. As long as you're moving in a forward direction, you're golden. Okay. So yeah, you, you know? move forward. And uh, I mean, the list of people that you perform with, I mean, besides Jason Aldean and some of the ones you've already mentioned, uh, I mean, I can't, we can't, don't even have enough time to mention all of these, but some of them like, okay, ludicrous, because that's like the such opposite of yeah. country. How, how do you perform with a rapper? They don't usually use live drummers, do they? Or do they in concert? <laughs> Well, a lot, you know, what's funny is that everything I talk about, you know, is like I have this, you know, kind of system for success and personal development. I call crash. It stands mm -hmm. for commitment, relationships, attitude, skill, and hunger. So relationships are the big one in life. And through my relationship with Jason and his very ultra supportive team, you I've come in contact and gotten to work with people like your Garth Brooks's and your Kelly Clarkson's and your Ludacris's and your Bob Seger's and your Brian Adams. Those were all like television shows or massive concert appearances or concert appearances that were filmed for television shows, you know, but mm -hmm. sometimes that kind of stuff is more stressful and high preparation, high, uh, high stress, I would say than, you know, touring with Ludacris because you only got one chance to play the Grammys or the Grammy. I think we did the Grammy, uh, pre concert, uh, award show with Ludacris. That was fun. And then he came on and did our CMA awards, the country music awards. Country music is awesome because we have so many award shows. We have the CMAs, the ACMs, the ACCs, the, we have so many award shows. Wow. Yeah. And so, so ludicrous. And yeah, talk about Kelly Clarkson. Did you have a lot of interaction when you performed with her? Was yeah, it kind of she's super cool, man. We had a, um, we had a crossover number one, like, uh, country pop hit. So it charted on pop and rock stations and country stations. And we got to play the Grammys. And so she got to come up and sing with us. And sometimes there was a string section and she's just right in front of you, like three feet in front of my Hyatt. And she's just belting flawlessly. I mean, she is a talent. Yeah, no, that's crazy. Wow. And then Chris Cornell. Oh, Chris that? Cornell was a television show too. That was the, um, I believe that was the, I think it was the ACMs and we got to play with him. God rest his soul. What a talent at yeah. um, the Shermer Horn Symphony Center in Nashville, which is like this beautiful, acoustically perfect venue. Mm. And, uh, you know, they bring in a band like boom, whack, you know, electric guitars. And and uh, but that was awesome to get to hear, um, you know, Chris in my in-ear monitors. It sounds like a, a lion roaring. You know, it's it's uh, oh, yeah, pretty special. Those kind of those kind of talents only come along every 10, 20 years, you know? Yeah. Do you, do you get Same to like, with Eddie? Yeah. When you meet with these guys, when you play with these guys, do you, have, do you get to like shake their hand and talk oh, yeah. to them a little bit? Okay. Like, so yeah. Joe Perry, were you, were you a fan of his? I mean, Aerosmith. Totally. That's, yeah. Yeah. So which one was that? Like, did you do a live performance with him too? Yeah, or? we did an award show and he came on and, and played a guitar solo on this uh, kind of a song, like our version of our jagged little pill. Um, Atlantis had that big, oh. you know, yeah. um, record that had five number ones. Well, our version of that was a, a record called My Kind of Party. We had five number one songs on it. And this one song was called My Kind of Party. And there's this raging guitar solo. There's like a duel on the end. And so he got the duel with the guys in our band. So it was pretty oh, fun. That is so yeah. cool. That is really neat. So yeah. you say that you perform with the same energy in studio that you do on stage. Now, like drummers are like, you say that they're kind of a loud and obnoxious person. Uh, in the band, but so what is your thought on like the, the drum machines that are being used in recording? Cause it seems like more and more artists are doing this. And for me, it just, it seems like it kind of ruins the rock and country. Like I think I heard yeah. blink 182 using a drum machine. I was like, but they're a rock band. I don't, I don't yeah. understand. Can you explain this to me? It's got to piss you off as a drummer, right? Well, no, you just got to embrace this stuff. It's like when, um, it's like when, the Lynn drum machine came out, you know, a perfect example of the programming on a Lynn drum machine would be Tina Turner's what's love got to do with it. Right. That uh -huh. was, that was just a Lynn drum machine, Roger Lynn. I'm so 
happy I got to meet the guy. Genius. And so all these drummers were like, oh, this is going to put us out of business. Yeah. And then there was the Syndrums and then the Simmons. And then we started getting into now, you know, people were like, oh, God, Pro Tools is going to be the death of the of the music industry. But it's just basically a digital audio workstation. So, you know, these things, they come and go. And the guys that embrace them, they call it, of course, hybrid drumming right now. So if you saw me like in concert, we have these loops that I'm playing on top of. And sometimes huh. the song will start with a loop and I won't come in. I'll start like kind of flirting with the cymbals or like a basic pattern and on the pre-chorus and then boom, the real drums come in and explode on the chorus. It's kind of like a, a pattern in music production. It's been around for maybe like I mean, it's already it, like go back to like the Al Avril records and all yeah. that kind of stuff. That was like it was a loop in the verse and the real drums come in. And now it's even more. Um, I just had this guy named Wolf on my podcast and he he programs all these drums for like Britney. And if it's a female chick pop singer, he has programmed the drums for it. OK, but it's like you can make an acoustic drum set sound like a drum machine and you can make samples sound like a real drummer. So these are just they're all just kind of like tools that okay. producers and songwriters and it's um, it could be it could not go away for another 20 years or it could go away tomorrow. So and you don't like when you play the loops in the studio, uh, then you do the same thing uh, live. Like sometimes don't they uh, use a machine in the studio and then live they use a real drummer? Do they ever do that? Yeah, well, actually, actually in the studio, um, most of the loops that you'll hear on a Jason Aldean record, we're working on our 10th record, by the way. I can't believe we have this body of work. Awesome. Um, are loops that were programmed by the songwriter. Okay. So the songwriter has a team of people. They bring the loop in. It's a wave file or Pro Tool stems. They dump it onto the the engineer's Pro Tools rig for the session. I play on top of it. Then we get a copy of those stems. And when we go out to play live, we just run the stems out front. So, hmm. and we're actually very modest. I mean, there's a lot of bands you'll go see. There'll be hundreds of tracks of soft synths, chick background singers, hand claps, tambourines. I mean, basically the only thing that we have in the box are the little drum loops that I play on top of. And everything else is live. Just hmm. a rock band with a dude with a cowboy hat. <laughs> awesome you know, who, which is really refreshing yeah absolutely who are your favorite drummers out there that are playing right now well you know i have to go back historically and i like and, and i say you know if you're not a fan of the the band so the the bands are um the rolling stones the beatles the who and the led zeppelin okay so those are your the bands and so if you don't if you're not into you know charlie watts and bonham and ringo and 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 keith moon you know that's your that's the Mount Rushmore. So you start there, right? Mm -hmm. And then the baton is passed to guys like, I loved session drummers like Hal Blaine and Russ Kunkel and Jeff Percaro and John Robinson and Kenny Aronoff. And um, yeah, so for me, I'm kind of a, I'm always on the watch. I'm always looking for kids on Instagram. Hmm. I always go out and I watch the, the drummer in the opening act, you know, because okay. that kid is usually like somewhere between 18 and 26 years old. And I remember when I had, you know, some broken down gear cause I couldn't afford anything. And yeah. I had this, I had that fire in my belly and I had something to prove. And so I go out and I just kind of soak up that juju from that kid, you know? Yeah. But for, but me, I just celebrated my 50th birthday, went out to Joshua tree and walked around naked and banged a drum and looked at the stars <laughs> like Matthew McConaughey it was incredible. Um, but like, I, I, I revisit a lot of the old stuff, you know, I like, um, I like the, Nigel Olson with Elton John because he knows how to play a beautiful ballad. I like Liberty DeVito 30 years with Billy Joel because he knows how to play the song. I loved Kenny Aronoff 17 years with Mellencamp because, you know, he knew he was a showman. So, you know, we're kind of wow. like all we're snowflakes, you know, we're all unique. We're all, all of us are completely unique and we're the sum of the parts of all of our inspiration and all of our ingredients. So I just steal ingredients from people. And now at 50, I'm kind of like, um, some people might laugh, but it's like, I don't want to call myself an old curmudgeon. I'm more like an OG. I'm like, I don't know this happened, but like, I'm an original gangster, man. Like I've been in Nashville 24 years yeah. and the kids that are, Before the kids it was that are cool. moving there. Yeah. yeah. And they're 22 years old. Yeah. They're, they're looking up to guys like me and Jim Riley and these guys that have done it and are like, I want to do it. And you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And they'll, they'll, and, oh, and so, yeah. I did that same thing. And it's yeah. just this kind of rite of passage. 
Absolutely. No, that's really, yeah, I just had, I had one of my first episodes, this kid, Eddie Eberly, he just moved to uh, Nashville. You should keep an eye out for him. Eddie in the getaway, his drummer Christian is, he's insane, but he's a really good drummer. Have you ever seen Zoltan Chaney perform? Oh yeah. Zoltan and I are, are, um, well, I, you know, I would say we're friends. I have his cell phone. I'll get texts from him like (laughs) once every two years. Yeah. That's all. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. He is insane drummer to watch. Like just the way he bounces around and jumps off and I mean, it's crazy. I love to watch I think that if he embraced YouTube more, he could, he could literally have millions of followers on YouTube. I think so too. Yeah. So besides drummers, um, you say that there's a lot of famous people that come to your concerts and the hangout backstage, like famous athletes and stuff. What, what, what podcast did you listen to to get I, all this stuff? Several actually. Okay. You're the man. You do yeah. your research. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. There's always a lot of athletes. Cause my, the guys in my band love the Braves, the Atlanta Braves. They love the Boston Red Sox. So over the years, the, there's a lot of relationships that have been cultivated backstage, and those guys are at a lot of shows. And then, of course, you know, um, you know, if you're in town and and some other entertainers in town, it'll be like, hey, you know, uh, Bob Seger wants to come do a song with us tonight, or hey, the lead singer from that rock band, rock country band, Alabama wants to do a song. Randy Owen wants to do it. And you just, or uh, Darius Rucker was the last one we did. Uh, we were doing a double um, concert with um, Hootie. And like, oh, so Darius, nice. well, you know, transitioned in, into a very viable country career. Oh, and yeah. They were like, yeah. He wants to come out and do a song with you guys. And so, you know, we did. It was great. That's awesome. So, I mean, all these highs, so many great things. But, you know, you know, I have to bring this up. There's some tragedy too, right? 2017, yeah. you were actually mm-hmm. performing with Jason Aldean in Vegas during this horrible mass shooting. I mean, you got to tell me about this. You jump, you had to jump behind like a road case, which is made of wood. So that didn't really mm-hmm. do much. Then you safely got off to the crew bus. But like, yeah. do you have any like sort of like PTSD from that? Or were you just too removed from the incident? I mean, like, did you hear yeah. bullets being fired and stuff or? Well, it's not something... I usually like to talk about very much, but I mean, I I usually will just go to the, uh, my statement that is, yes, it was a massively horrendous, unforgettable night in human history. And the fact that everybody in my organization is okay is like a blessing from, you know, your higher power, your version of a higher power. My God, he is, he looked out for us because it's basically this, it's just a way of learning that, that my work on earth is not done. I've got more things to do and, and I, and I, and I want to affect people in a positive way and change mm-hmm. their lives. And I know mm-hmm. I can do that through entertainment. I know I can do that through education. So that's what I do every day with a smile on my face is get up and try to, through my music, through my talents, try to affect people, um, in a positive way. But I'll tell you, going back, going back to Vegas, Last year, um, we did a residency three nights. Some of the guys from Aerosmith came out. That's that's a situation where you're in one of these kind of like um, you're one of the entertainment capitals of the world. So, you know, Jason Aldean's coming back to play for the first time, doing a residency at the MGM. There was a lot of folks backstage, you know, but oh, a lot of times I don't, you know, take the time to like all nod my head because I know there's celebrities and or yeah, I I'm on my own. I got my own schedule. I got to warm sure. up. I yeah. got to get my brain in the right place because let's face it. The drummer's got a massive responsibility. We're in charge of the energy, the dynamics, the time, the groove. Yeah. Oh man. We're, we're responsible for so much. Yeah. So shortly after that, you guys did SNL. Um, I had Robin Wilson uh, from the gin blossoms on and he yeah. had this amazing story. He that he smoked weed with Phil Hartman. It's so, it's so great. Did you have any crazy stories like that or any inter- interactions with the cast on SNL? Um, I did. I got to interact with the whole cast. And as a matter of fact, I mean, I would, we, I would say this is everybody in my band and organization would never want to play Saturday night live due to those circumstances. You know, we never pictured yeah, it, that sure. it would yeah, be yeah. those circumstances, right. but I know that it was America needed some healing and there was this beautiful cold opening. And we at the same time got to tip our hat and pay tribute to Tom Petty. Um, you know, it's, 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 it's a lot of pressure. You're two feet from this, house band that's been together forever all of america is watching and uh it was a thing where it was a combination of uh, of pride and 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 guilt and 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 you're you're happy and you're upset and you're scared at the same time and there's every hair on your bodies but at the end of the show uh, of course we got to mingle a little bit with lauren michaels who's a comedy legend who created the show before the show and then after the show the saxophone player is playing his solo 
the beautiful iconic solo, the confetti is dropping and all the musicians and actors are mingling. And that kind of brought some tears to my eyes, man. And I, mm. um, I got to, you know, yeah, shake hands with, this is pre COVID man. So I got to shake uh, hands and go. hug a lot of those cast members and my bass player. I remember my bass player, Tully, who I've been playing with for, you know, 21 years, you know, we had a tear in our eye. We were hugging each other and it was, cool. it was a very special night. man. That's very neat. So I had another question about music for you. So you, you actually wrote some songs, yeah. uh, three number one hits for this band called the Wolf brothers. How do yeah. you write songs? Because do, I know this might sound a dumb question coming yeah, from yeah. Not a musician, but do you write on the drums or do you write with a guitar or a keyboard or? Well, I love that you're not a musician and you're so fearless. You're like, I'm going to interview like <laughs> yeah. Eddie Trunk. I'm just going to be oh, like, I'm, yeah, you know, totally. you know, because I don't I'm think Eddie Trunk fan. plays yeah. a musical instrument. No, no, no. I, I, play, I took guitar lessons for two years. I sucked. I was like, okay, I got to, you know, you know your lane, I guess. And so I was like, you know, my people, like my guitar teacher was just, he'd pick up my guitar and I was like, wait, my guitar can actually make those sounds. How did you do that? Like I, I I'm so fascinated by people with talent. I try, I wish I had some, but yeah, no, I love music. So, well, this is your talent. Cause you got the gift of gas. I'm trying. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> man. So, um, what were we talking about? Oh yeah. Writing songs. So writing so, the songs. Yeah. Do you write it on the drum or do you play other instruments? Or? Well, so my master's was in, you know, classical percussion and music education. So like I had to learn how to play like hot cross buns on every instrument. So, you know, like, you know, on the violin, you know, okay. and the oboe and the clarinet, just so you can get in front of an eighth grade band. And if you wanted to, oh, teach, sure. Okay. Right. right? Yeah. So, so, you know, I have like, I have a musical mind and I know how to express myself musically. I can clunk away on the piano. Um, and so, but what I do is I'm great in the room. You know, I got the great room skills. I can get together with somebody who's a great singer, maybe a great pro tools engineer, and maybe somebody else that plays a mean guitar. And I come in with like my, like African hand drum and my rhyming thesaurus and i'll have like a story or i'll have a title or i'll have a feel or have a tempo and then before you know it i'm jumping in on the lyrics and then i've also i've produced three number one songs and so i think drummers are really good at seeing the big picture musically because we're behind everything all the time and Mm -hmm. we can see the big so somebody like a butch vig you know who produced nirvana in the early days i mean the drummers are big picture guys stan lynch the drummer from tom petty and heartbreakers good friend of mine he produces all the don henley records so you don't necessarily have to be a fantastic songwriter of course that's a fantasy of mine just to be able to you know be really good with three chords so good and then put it together with like a an angelic voice and then just jump into a, like a 1970 style van and go play troubadour shows all over the country. But I'm 50, man. I don't think it's going to happen. I'm busy playing the drums and doing other things. So, um, but I love, um, you know, celebrating and collaborating in a room with like-minded people. That's very cool. So yeah, let's talk about some of the other things you're doing. Uh, you're doing acting. And this is what I love. You, said, your inspiration was John Ritter on Three's Company. I love Three's Company. I love John Ritter. I love that show as a kid. What Come other on, Chuck? Yeah, yeah. What I other mean, acting influences do you have though? Well, I mean, all. You know, my thing is that I'm a student of humanity. I love people. I've never met, never met a stranger. Um, you know, I'll probably kiss you on the cheek before I shake your hand, and I love <laughs> hugging people. And That's got to be rough for you then, right now, right? With the yeah, COVID. it's so tough, man. I miss <sighs> my people. Yeah. But uh, no, that was, I I always put that as my first influence because I just always thought it was just such a, not only John Ritter and his talent and the way he could land the jokes and the physical comedy, but just the ridiculousness of the plots and and the, and the sitcom uh, platform where you have 22 minutes to present a problem, solve a problem, eight minutes for commercials. And it's just nice and tidy. And so then that, then that went into like, of course, you know, you know, your, your King of Queens is yes, all these Mike show. and Molly's. I, I celebrate all the Chuck Lorre shows. I mean, they're just great. So now here's the question. Are you more of a Mr. Roper fan or Mr. Furley? Oh, I liked Furley. Yes, me too. Yeah, see, me too. I've had this argument with people. I'm like, no, Furley was so like the way he would Don Knotts would do those those faces yeah. with the eyeballs. I mean, I would laugh my ass off. And then they would break the fourth. They would break the fourth wall and look right into the camera. Right? Like, did yeah, you get? Yeah. Did you get the joke? Uh, but no, I just. I mean, I just love it. Um, you know, if in our acting classes, you also have to like kind of yeah. like study the business of acting, right? Sure. So, yeah. So this is good for anybody, and I think anybody out there, no matter if you're a soccer mom or if you're a business person or if you're a musician. 
you need to have some sort of an elevator pitch. So when you're in an elevator and someone says, what do you do? So you have to kind of have your, what is, you know, your essence together. So they're like, so what is your acting essence? What is your type? So I tell everybody that I'm like a Bobby Cannavale, you know, who does all sorts of stuff and meeting uh, that meets the, the, um, I guess the approachability of like a Tony Danza. So I guess I'm dating myself. There, right? <laughs> I love Tony Danza too. These right? are great references. So, yeah. So if you look up Bobby Cannavale, I mean, he's been in everything from everything from like HBO's vinyl to like tons of sitcoms to like big gigantic feature films. He even does commercials. And that's what I really like about what's happening in Hollywood right now. Not, of course, not right now with COVID, but the idea that there are no rules. You can, you can make an appearance on a, on a cop show, you can do a mm-hmm. sitcom and then you could do a commercial campaign like flow. And then you could do theatrical releases or even direct to video on demand stuff. You yeah. Know? So, so it's just, it's amazing. You, you took an improv comedy. You took, you went to the uh, upright citizens brigade in Hollywood. Yeah. So yeah. tell me, that's gotta be hard to, it's I mean, or do you think of yourself as a pretty funny pro- I mean, you're pretty funny in this interview even, but I mean, oh, that's thanks. hard to, to make people laugh, isn't it? Well, you know, I think people have some people have a, more of a, a you know a, pre, a predilection or something or an essence that that allows them to to be funny on command. Now, the whole thing with improv, anybody can benefit from taking an improv comedy class, right? And it, is, it you can even just take comedy out of the world, were you know the phrase, because of course it's a bonus if you can make people laugh. But the whole idea of improv is that somebody stands up in the theater. The, the cast comes out, right? They take a bow and someone says, um, can we get a word? And someone says, octopus. And then another person says, one more word, Friday night. And then the next thing you know, boom, that cast is creating scenarios on the spot that involves Friday nights and octopuses. Like, do you feel like your brain has to like, do you have to naturally have that quick wit or do you kind of develop it like a muscle as the more you have to develop it. And the only okay. way to do it is to walk the tightrope and to get out there and do it. Yeah. And it's, you know, and, and you don't want to let your fellow actor, yeah. your fellow actor down. Right. Do you, you're, you have yeah. to be there for them. So it's almost like being a drummer in a band where you're providing this massive support. I haven't taken an improv class since, but my thing is, is yeah. I'm fearless about it, yeah, I love but I'm that. also, I'm also, trying to get more like just clearer with I'm probably what I want to go after is, you know, I have my own podcast, the rich Redmond show. We got like 78 episodes. You know, the idea with that is to grow it, sell it, get really high quality ads. And mm-hmm. then it's, it's a um, platform to see pe- for people to see that I'm a quick witted host. Yeah. And I'd like to, I'd like to be more doing hosting on a high yeah, level. That would, you'd be really good at that. Um, well, so thanks. I noticed with your acting career, you did a lot of short films. Like, and I always wondered that cause I remember like with the Oscars, they'd always said like best short film. And I'm like, yeah, how the, how do people see these short films? Like, they is don't. it mostly at film festivals? <laughs> like, do they mostly make these for the art and the practice? I mean, they're not yeah. profitable, right? They're not profitable at all. You usually spend money making short films, okay. right? But I just did a lot of that stuff where you say yes to everything. You sure, know? yeah, they're good and practice then, for then, you, right? Yeah, and, and then you're before you know it, just for through, it. yeah, yeah, just through um, relationships, I w- I was able to get a couple of jobs, and you got your SAG and, card, right? Got my SAG card, and so now I'm in this position where you know I'm like, uh, you know, pre actually five years ago, people were still going into the rooms to to audition where you go in front of a casting director and the casting yeah. director's next. Okay. Whenever you're ready. And then thank you. And you go in and you do the whole thing. Now it's, we do in these self tapes. So you have to have like a blank background. You got to have your ring light. You got to have a little lapel mic and then you have a reader and the reader's my girlfriend. And I go, I'm going to audition for the part of the native American guy in this werewolf movie. And she's going, and you want me to be the reader, right? And I go, yes. And so she reads off camera and plays the parts. And then you send this thing in and this is how it's done now. But didn't you also uh, audition for the, so- some big soap opera, right? Where for the, the part of Alejandro and you got to go on the Warner brothers back lot and all this. Oh my like, God. Yeah. That- CBS. Yeah, oh, CBS. CBS. Yeah. Was that pretty cool? Young and the Restless. Well, here's the deal. That's a big. Um, a lot of opera. actors are short dudes, like yeah. you know. So you know, you got Stallone and these dudes. They are short, man. Yeah. This this guy Tom and this Cruise. character, they wanted to be five eleven, and I'm five seven and a half on a good day. Oh. So I I put these actor shoes on that are that had heightening in them, and that's it got like me a Seinfeld like, episode. What? It got me up to five nine. Okay, but I still wasn't tall enough. 
Oh, so that's why you didn't. It wasn't the acting ability. It had nothing to do with it, huh? Well, I don't know. You know, you mm. know when you get the job when the when the when the phone call comes in and they're sending a contract over. Um, and some casting directors are super sweet, and other casting directors are are um, are not friendly. Uh, this person was a very friendly. Oh actor friendly um casting director and she was like thank you so much it was great i liked it thanks for coming in and at least you know it just gives you the motivation to stay on track mm-hmm. just like in drumming just like in music just like in songwriting just like in when you're trying to get your band off the ground and get get an audience together yeah. well so you ended up getting a couple of features uh, a movie all light will end another one reawaken yeah. so i mean you're on track with that right it's going hey, man i'm in, i'm in the game and it's part of my creative diet yeah. Yeah. So talk, and let's talk about your, just like your general success. You are like, cause you do the motivational speaking. So you talk about some of this stuff in, in that motivational speaking, right? About how, uh, you know, it's about, uh, your music is a, it's a people business. It's a, it's a lot of handshakes and making relationships. You've kind of mentioned that already, but yeah. that was a big uh, secret to your success. You say there's a lot of people that really talented musicians, but they're, if they ha- hang out in the basement and they don't go out and meet people, they're never yeah. going to make it. Right. Yeah, don't 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 be afraid to let the world know you exist because there is so much noise with new media and social media and the way we live our lives that you literally kind of have to shout from a mountaintop and let people know that you exist and the and the, and if somebody gives you an opportunity and they crack the door open it's your it's your job to kick that sucker open make that person look good and do a really really good job so whenever anyone gave me an opportunity or if I created an opportunity for myself I always tried to play like it was the last time I was ever going to be on my instrument and people are watching and people are listening. So even if you just play for five people at the, um, at the, at the coffee house, um, someone could be recording that they loaded up the YouTube and I mm. guess what? Now you're a session musician and that thing exists forever. So you can never mail in anything. You've got to yeah. kick ass constantly and consistently. Well, and you just kept going and this is cool. Like, like cause people kind of, some of my friends kind of give me shit about this, but I love like Tony Robbins and uh, all these self-help books, Napoleon Hill, Zig Ziglar. Uh, yeah. But I also heard that, is this true? You watched the movie, the secret, which is a 90 minute movie. It's about, you know, this kind of stuff, like asking the universe for, what you want and i've seen it's a good movie you did you really watch this every day i watched it every day for a month and then wow. i rebought it recently on audio book um i well you know on audible um and 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 it's just all that stuff is good because it reinforces the mm-hmm. positivity because yeah. let's face it people that are enthusiastic that are enthusiastic and have positive attitudes they're more successful. They have, they live longer, they're healthier, they make more money, they have more friends. So I don't understand why people always just decide to be negative Nellies. You know, I, I just, there's so much negativity in our world on social media, on the news, on TV with friends. And yeah, yeah, how do you avoid all that? Yeah, I've I've avoided it my entire life until the last six months, and and for some reason in the last six months I've watched more news than I uh, ever have in my entire yeah. life. My only complaint is I don't know what is correct. I don't know what information is correct depending on what news source you're, you know. So so mm-hmm. you know when this thing calms down, I'm probably going to go back to being blissfully ignorant and just being in my craft and yeah. and controlling the things I can control, which is my practice, my focus, my business goals, connecting with people, moving the ball down the field, you know? Yeah. So you said um, uh, that also like, you know, cause that's something I talk to a lot of people about. If you get success, then you start to get trolls or haters. And you said that if you have haters and enemies that, that you're on track, that you're doing the right thing. And, and so that's a, that's a good thing. Oh yeah. Tra- haters are, you know, if you're on track, if you have haters. And then are you talking about people on the internet or in real life? Are these like people that you've worked with and stuff that hate you? Or are you talking oh, about just not like people trolls? You work, well, you know, you got, um, there are, you can to be able to please everyone. You got to yeah. go out there and do what you want to do with your life. And along the way, people are going to disagree with you or they're going to be jealous. There's a lot of jealousy because, and, and there's really no reason for it. I mean, you could have anything you want in your life. There's no reason to, to, to feed the green eyed monster as, you know, Shakespeare would say, you know, with jealousy, it's just, it's just a massive waste of time. And if you find yourself going down that road, of course, it's so easy now for people to create a fake avatar um, on social media or a fake YouTube page so they can just go around tearing people down. And if they spent all the time that they did tearing people down, actually working on their craft or getting good at something, it would be much more productive. But but I mean, not everybody's going to enjoy my 
brand of drumming. I mean, um, I mean, I have chops, but I actually spent the last 20 years keeping them in my back pocket. And that's how you get continued calls from artists, bands, songwriters, and producers. They don't want to hear a bunch of licks. They want you to play the song and stay out of the way. Right. Yeah. And, and so that's really where what separates a lot of the men from the boys is that discipline and that control so yeah, sure you can express yourself on your instrument with a bunch of fast notes, but if you can control that and know the time and place and know what to play that's appropriate. I mean, I'm reading the Jeff Percaro book. There's uh, the great session drummer that was in this band called Toto that left oh, an yeah. indelible Toto's mark great. on the music scene of the 70s, 80s, and 90s. And he died at so prematurely at 38 years old. Mm. This guy had chops for days, but he would go in and just be able to play... Um, you know, for three and a half minutes with passion and control and conviction and make it feel incredible. And that's what people want with music. They want to feel something. They want to be moved. They want to dance. They want to be inspired in some way. Right. Absolutely. Otherwise, if you're just playing a lot of licks, you're it's about you. And that comes off as selfish. If you're playing an instrument, you got to make it about the rest of the guys in the band or the person singing the song. Hmm. And how do you do that? You just, what I like to do is I pretend I'm singing the song. I pretend oh. I'm Don Henley. I pretend I'm Jason Aldean. Interesting. Here's a great, interesting thing for you. Don Henley never played a drum fill when he was singing. Oh. He played drum fills in between when he was taking a breath so he could sing the next phrase, oh. he never stepped on his own vocal. That's so like, interesting. I, yeah. I was, literally huh. will do everything in my power to flirt with the vocal, to move the, the vocal forward, to move the story that's being told forward. But I don't want to step on that person. And you, that person is cutting my yeah. check. So like, if you don't have a mic, but can you sing along while you're playing the drums or, or does, does well, that I know it. We have the, we have these beautiful inner monitors yeah. now where you're hearing everything. First time I used inner monitors was 20 years ago. You know, it's, you can always tell some of the old guys that, that grew up playing, you know, large venues with big monitors because they are deaf, oh, you know, monitor inner monitors have kind of like saved a couple generations of musicians now. Cause we can actually hear everything really clearly, but we can turn things down. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Well, you say another thing uh, about success. You should, that people should fall in love with reje rejection. Like you heard no a lot. And uh, like we said earlier, like it's not always based on talent. It's more about follow through. Like you have to find the right situation for you at the right time in your life. Like how many, op besides Trisha Yearwood, I mean, what other opportunities have you been rejected for? Um, well, there was that Trisha Yearwood audition. There was the Dina Carter audition. There was the Barbara Mill audition. Um, I auditioned one time for Peter Frampton. That was an interesting thing. I got to play oh. some really cool stuff there. Um, but it's like a dear friend of mine got the job. So oh, everybody okay. wins. Yeah. Um, there was also a time that I was recommended for, uh, Matchbox 20 and, um, huh. I got no complaints. You know why? Because I am finishing sentences with the guys that I play with. And we're, we're so lucky to be in this rarefied air of being able to be best friends and mix business and pleasure. And year after year for five presidencies, go out and take the music to the people and entertain people and have this gorgeous home base to yeah. hang my hat. It is so cool. Yeah. And, he, and Jason is uh, supportive of your other like acting and your book and your motivational speaking, all your other endeavors and stuff. Yes. I mean, sometimes, of course, the guys in my band are like, oh, what is Redmond up to now? <laughs> right. I'm that I'm that guy. Oh, OK. But, but for the most part, we celebrate each other's victories. You know, yeah. and we've done, you know, me and Kurt and Tully, you know, the, the the core guitar bass drum thing. We have been playing together and selling ourselves as a rhythm section to like other recording artists. We would do showcases and it's like uh, it's just this amazing thing. And you get us all together, you know, with uh, with Jack and Jay and Jason. And then there's this whole family of people out there. There's a road manager. There's a hospitality manager. There's a caterer. There's carpenters. There are backline techs. There's the front of house guys. There's the riggers, the monitor guys. We got a 60 man crew out there mm -hmm. and we're all friends. And it's yeah. just an awesome. It just sucks. You guys are all out of work right now. That's what it's like. I know. I'm, I'm hopefully um, 
July, maybe. I don't know. That's okay. What, really? Is that what they're saying? July? Yeah, you know, it's a goal. Okay. Well, yeah. Um, I always like to end with a charity you had mentioned. I think it was breast cancer. That is yes. That's- you know, the Jason Aldean organization has raised tens of millions of dollars for for Susan G. Komen oh. breast cancer research. So okay. every year we do a concert for the cure and we donate the entire night's proceeds to breast cancer research. And that's where the millions of dollars have come from. That's and then of great. course my mother is a breast cancer survivor, a longtime breast cancer survivor, uh, Patty Redmond. We love yeah. her. Today is her birthday. And so I sent her Happy flowers birthday. and um, I work with an organization called breast cancer can stick it, uh, which is my friend, April Samuels. And she created, she lives in Dallas, Texas, and we raise about $55,000 uh, in one day every year for breast cancer research. Oh, that's great. Well, thank you so much for doing this. So everyone needs to check out uh, again, your, yeah, your podcast is the rich Redmond show, right? Yeah. And the book is the, is a uh, crash, which is an acronym uh, yeah. you do motivational speaking, you do, uh, clinics and things with the drums, right? Teaching yeah. and stuff. And you play with Jason Aldean and a million other people. Right. So hopefully yeah, you'll yeah, get back right. on the road soon. And yeah, that's for sure. Yeah. The book is actually, it's a mouthful. It's called crash course for success. Five ways to supercharge your personal and professional life. So, I kind of want to check that out. It's right up my alley. I love those like kind of success books. And so I love oh, it. It's Tony a quick, Robbins. easy read. Man. Oh, good. It's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's like half biopic and half self-help. Perfect. Yeah, that's yeah. great. Well, thank you so much for doing the show. I really appreciate it. Hey, you're a great interviewer, man. Thanks thank for having you. me. All right. All right. Bye, Rich. See you, brother. So how does Rich have so much energy? I'd love to be able to bottle that. He's just done so much with his uh, career. He's still going from his work with Jason Aldean to the session drum work, the acting, writing a book, his podcast. Wow. Uh, Follow him on social media to see everything he's done or check out his website for more information. Follow me on social media. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast to keep up with these great interviews. I've got some great guests lined up. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, shoot for the moon.